Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on business, investing, and finance. I like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. If you're looking to build and sell a business and want to avoid a big tax payout, it all starts in the planning phase. My next guest is a CPA with some creative strategies that help entrepreneurs reduce and even avoid corporate tax and capital gains tax. If you're looking to build and sell a business, this episode is perfect for you. Please welcome Noah Rosenfarb. Noah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, could you tell us about your background? Sure, I'm a third generation CPA. Uh, Got started working in my dad's accounting firm. Helped him scale it from 12 people when I joined to 70 when I left. Sold it to a top 20 accounting firm. And I started a family office for affluent divorced women. Uh, Sold that business in 2014. Uh, Was semi-retired for a number of years doing some private equity investing, investing in real estate. And then in 2020, I opened a family office for entrepreneurs, basically to serve my own family. And we opened it up to other families as well. And that's what I'm doing now. Nice. Let's talk about this business right away. So you're a financial planner, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I, w- I don't have a designation of a financial planner anymore, but I, I used to in the past. Okay. Life. Got it. Okay. So why don't you tell us about what are the types of products or investments your customers can get involved with? Sure. So uh, everything we do starts with planning. So we charge a planning fee, which okay. is you know, not necessarily common in our industry. Uh, but in addition, we make asset management fees. So we manage money, stock and bond, publicly traded stock and bond portfolios for which we charge a fee. In addition, we are licensed to sell insurance. So we collect commissions on that. Uh, we buy a lot of real estate. We own 6,000 units of multifamily housing around the country. And when we put those deals together, we get promoted fees that we were we make money when our investors make money. We've got a couple of private funds, a private debt fund, and then we have like kind of a exploratory alternative fund where clients just follow my capital into deals that I'm investing in, and I get a bit of a carry on uh, on their investment as well. And then one of the real unique things we do is we help entrepreneurs develop their tax strategy, and some of the strategies that we implement, we get success-based fees. So a pretty cool and unique differentiator. Uh, Let's dive into that. Success-based fees. How does that work? So uh, I was just coming off a call with a client planning to sell his business for $50 later this year, uh, two partners, and then the uh, employees own about 20% phantom equity. So each owner would get about $20 gross in the transaction. And they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do? One of the structures that we leverage is designed in such a way that in addition to many benefits like asset protection, like estate planning, uh, there's also a capital gains tax benefit where the client essentially pays no capital gains tax on the transaction. So as a result of completing that transaction, in his case individually, he might save $5 million, we might receive a success-based fee of about a million dollars. Okay, let's talk about that because we have a lot of entrepreneurs in our audience and people are looking to build and sell a business. And one of the biggest fears there is the the tax payout. Uncle Sam, especially here in the States, is going to want his cut when you pay taxes. So how do you shelter the tax? How do you avoid paying that tax? Uh, I think it's all about planning to avoid the tax and, and using structures that make sense. 
it depends on your individual set of circumstances. I'll share like a structure that I've used because uh, I think it's pretty novel and unique. I started a business and I formed that business in Puerto Rico. Now, one of the things that American taxpayers have the opportunity to do is start their business in Puerto Rico and apply for a special 4% tax rate. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, okay, so I have to be honest, when I hear things like this, I think of FTX. Okay, so uh, th- this is a uh, incentive program set up by the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico because they're looking to attract businesses onto the island. The island's had mm-hmm. its share of economic challenges. And so in 2012, they released a new section of their tax code. Because they're a Commonwealth, the uh, residents of Puerto Rico don't pay the IRF taxes, they don't pay any federal tax. They just pay Puerto Rico tax. So Puerto Rico said, hey, we want, you know, rich Americans, mainlanders to come to our island. So we'll give them no capital gains tax, no dividend tax, no interest income tax. If they move here as an individual and retire here, or even if they want to have their day trading business here as an example. And in addition, that was called Act 22. They had another act called Act 20, which was if you bring your business here, you form a C corporation in Puerto Rico, we'll only charge you 4% in corporate taxes versus I live in Florida, uh, the Florida corporate tax is 5%, the IRS charges an extra 21%. So instead of 26, I pay four in Puerto Rico. So that, that's just a bit of the story. Yes, I and one of my friends did move to Puerto Rico, him and his, his wife, and they, they wanted to get down there because of tax benefits. So that does make sense. But you're actually setting up a business. Now, do you need um, like a PO box equivalent or some kind of uh, physical address down there? You need more than that. You need to source your income to Puerto Rico. So I mentioned I live here in Florida. I didn't want to move to Puerto Rico. So I uh, engaged my brother to become my business partner, to run that new business in Puerto Rico. Um, and so he owns part of the business when, because he's the Puerto Rico resident. When he gets the dividend from that C-corporation, he doesn't have to pay any taxes. Because again, great tax laws down there. And then me, I, I wanted to continue to live in Florida. I wanted to take advantage of that 4% rate. But just like if you know Microsoft or Google or Apple or any number of companies paid a dividend, you'd have to pay a dividend tax. Uh, I, I didn't want to pay that tax. And so what I did is I set up my business ownership inside of a Roth 401k plan. So now when that company issues dividends, I don't pay any taxes. I get to invest that for growth tax-free. And eventually when I take that money out, I'll take it out tax-free. Sure, sure. Right on. Okay. Um, with the the establishment, because I'm thinking through, like, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that have, like, online businesses, whether it's a SaaS business, kind of like what I have, uh, my team and I have at least. Um, there's also a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs in our community. And what about setting up that type of business where you can literally be remote anywhere in the world? Yeah, so one of the things I've done is I've set up all of my uh, labor that doesn't have to be U.S. labor. I, I have an office in the Philippines. You know, different people have remote teams based in different locations. But what we do is we often set up that Puerto Rico business to hire all of those subcontractors to help source that income through Puerto Rico. So you may have a U.S. taxpayer that's based in any number of states, uh, but then they also own this C corporation in Puerto Rico. They have one employee there that's coordinating the activities of all of these outsourced service providers. And as a result, they're sourcing that income through Puerto Rico. Got it. Let's get into the flow of money here. So the money has to flow to Puerto Rico in a bank in Puerto Rico. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. 
Got it. And then from there can be dispersed to the other partners or employees in the company. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, their banking laws are like modeled after Delaware. So there's nothing too unique there. Sure. Sure. Uh, I have to ask this question. Any major branches like bank branches I would be familiar with? No, they have uh, like four main banks on the island. None of them are that good. For us to make a wire it takes, you know, a day and a half for my brother to go into the branch and wait on the line. Yeah, I mean, the services are miserable, uh, but it's the cost of getting this benefit. Got it. Okay, so that's the trade-off. If you want the low taxes, you got to, you know, the con there would be the service. Service timing. And same with if you want to live there, right? So not everyone wants to live on a, you know, Caribbean island, but... There's right. certainly lots of benefits to living on a Caribbean island, too. Sure, sure. Interesting strategy. Well, just to zoom out a little bit, you know, just so I'm clear, your business, you offer like people can come to you and invest in uh, stocks, ETFs, index funds. Is that correct? Yeah, but they don't come to us directly for investing. What they come to us for is sophisticated financial advice on their broader picture and even more specifically to align with our philosophy of becoming rich beyond money. So we help predominantly entrepreneurs that are earning seven figures, have a net worth of eight figures. So these are people that by almost all standards are already rich. And the idea for us is to help them utilize the resources they have to live a meaningful life, a life that they're proud of, a life that is really inspirational to others and where they're able to become what we call rich beyond money. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So with the the ticker community, you know, I, I'm talking about something that is kind of new, but um, I'll be introducing it more to our community, which is the four pillars of money management. Pillar one would be removal of debt. Pillar two is increased income. Pillar three would be building wealth. Pillar four would be protecting wealth. So it sounds like you're placing a lot of emphasis there. A lot of people already have money. How do we protect it? How do we <laughs> pay less right. to, to less to taxes? Yes. Yeah. And, and part of protecting your wealth is, you know, making sure you're focused on the right things. And yeah. so we we help people figure out what is it that they really want to use this money for? Because if if all we do is that invest in the S&P 500, like, yeah, it's, it's not really creating that much out no. of the wealth created. No, and it, we definitely talk about that in our community. Like, if you want to build wealth through investing, you have to go into individual stocks. If you're playing the, the slow and steady game, that's wealth protection. You've already arrived. Like, right. if you're going into index funds, ETFs, and mutual funds, you're pretty much saying, yep, I already have enough. Now I just want to protect what I have and keep it where it's at. Um, yeah, we, we get people who are like, well, I want to go into mutual funds, but I want to be a millionaire in three years. It's like, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> we, have a, we have a bit of a mantra that, you know, whether we double a client's portfolio in five years or 10 years really has no relevance on the yeah. life that they're going to live. But if we cut that portfolio in half over five years or 10 years, it's going to make a big difference. So yeah. we tend to have, broad diversification in our investment and asset allocation for the clients because, you know, you you diversify to protect and you concentrate to create, as you kind of alluded to. Got it. So we talked about a strategy of protecting your wealth, uh, paying less taxes, incorporating in Puerto Rico. Um, let's talk about your real estate portfolio. Did you say earlier you had 6,000 units? Is that correct? Yeah, that, the number's changing because we're exiting a lot of uh, okay. assets right now. We we had in 2022, we only acquired 130 units. 
uh, we had thought we'd have a lot more activity, but the market didn't cooperate. So we were taking a pause and we were just about to close on another 200 unit deal, but they've been hard to find. Now, do you operate this like a syndication, like an investor could come to you and say, hey, we want to invest um, 50 grand or 100 grand. And then with the expectation, they're going to get some kind of return. Typically, just so you know, on the podcast, we've had other uh, syndication investors and they say you're usually getting eight, nine, 10% per year. Yeah. Is your fund similar? Um, it's similar in that we're syndicating. Our last eight realized transactions, our average IRR was just under 27%, but that's been a really good time frame to measure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think the forward-looking returns are going to be as healthy as the last number of years. Uh, but yeah, you can just go to, if anybody wanted to talk about real estate with us, you go to talkaboutre.com and you could download one of my free eBooks called How My Family Invests in Apartments for Infinite Returns. And you'll uh, get some information about me, the investing we've done, take a look at the types of deals we do, and you can schedule a call with my partner to walk you through a deal. Sure. And where are these properties? Are they all over the states? All over the states. uh, Concentration in the southeast predominantly. Got it. Okay. And newer, like, um, would these be like multi-unit complexes? We're talking like 50, 100, 200 plus units? Correct. Yeah. It's in some cases 400, 500. Gotcha. Okay. When I think of Florida, you probably... Yeah, a lot of condo complexes, a lot of apartments, maybe serving um, those who have uh, since retired or, or recently retired. Yeah, and y- y- we don't have any age-restricted housing um, okay. in, in any of our locations, but you tend to attract a certain type of tenant, and that's usually based on your marketing strategy. So depending on where we acquire the asset and then how we're marketing that asset, usually you know, we're looking for a certain demographic because... A lot of our properties, let's say, have common amenities, gyms, pools. You want people to build community. So you want people to have, you know, something where sure. they commonality to want to keep them there. Got it. Okay. And to get involved with your real estate investments, do you need to be accredited? Correct. An accredited investor. Got it. Got it. So that's that's the real estate side. But if somebody wants to work with you on the financial planning side, no accreditation needed. You can simply, it's just a service fee, it sounds like. Yeah. Although I would say if you're not accredited, we're probably not the right fit as a Uh, firm. You know, I I, uh, have a little tagline that we're financial advisors to the half percent. So, you know, usually when people are coming to us, it's because they started making a million bucks or more probably recently, or they have that $10 million net worth where they've got complexity in their life that that needs a group like ours. We're a team of accountants, lawyers, and financial planners. So we're heavily experienced, heavily credentialed. And so we tend to skew a little bit upmarket. Got it. Let's take a quick commercial break. Have you ever lost money in the stock market? Maybe you heard or saw a comment on YouTube, TikTok, Reddit, or another social platform, or maybe you just received bad advice from a friend. Yeah, I think we've all been there. Most people lose money in the stock market because they make decisions based on emotions. What if you could remove emotions from investing? What if you could make consistent returns in the stock market based solely on logic? And what if there's a software that could handle that logic for you? Introducing Ticker, a platform that helps you manage your investments with confidence. Get started today with a free trial. Visit ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, ticker.com. All right, back to the show. With this is 
An interesting question for you. So with the customers you have, are there any common denominators of the types of business models or revenue streams that have been created to accelerate people to that million dollar a year income level? I don't think it's the business model as much as the people. And one of the you know unique aspects of successful entrepreneurs is that they have a team that can often accomplish significantly more without the entrepreneur's day-to-day involvement than you know, the entrepreneur could ever do if they worked 80 hours a week or 100 hours a week. Sure. I would say that's probably the biggest distinction between our clients and maybe the general entrepreneurial population is that they can take you know, a two-week vacation and not check their email because they have a team behind them. So regardless if it's a service or product business, they have a, I'm I'm thinking of uh, some great qualities, great leadership skills to motivate people, Mm -hmm. right? And then the ability to put systems in place. I always think of like standard in the corporate world, standard operating procedures, like this is how we do X, Y, Z, um, and just rinse and repeat. And and more importantly, they have the confidence in themselves to pay someone a big salary to come in and be their president, chief operating officer, integrator. You know, there's some title where they really took that money out of their pocket to try and find someone who could lead and manage that business better than they could. Interesting. So you're seeing that level where not just somebody who's in the business leading as, let's say, a president, but they're at a point where, you know what, we've got the systems in place. I've got everything documented. I don't need to be here. I just need somebody to come in so I can go travel or, you know, enjoy more in life. They're they're actually in that position. Yeah. And mostly you'd see them involved in big relationships for big sales. Uh, okay. Recruiting is often something that they're doing and then ideating and how we're going to improve the business. What's the strategy for the company? How old are these businesses typically? Are we talking like five years, seven years, 10 years or older? They run the gamut. Um, I think it's more based on you know me. I'm 47, so I tend to attract clients that are probably 10 years older and 10 years younger. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, in that bandwidth, and then as a result of that, you know, you get newer companies on the younger side, and then some older, more mature companies on the older side. Sure, sure, gotcha. Is there? Can you share with us? You don't have to give a business name, but any particular like business or business model you've seen with some serious exponential growth that you were able to work with? I would say SaaS model, the SaaS business model is the most attractive model for a build and sell methodology because the multiples in SaaS are so high. So we we see a lot of our clients in that SaaS world having fairly large exits, but a lot of times to get to that large exit, there's not a lot of cash flow in a lot of those early years because they have to continue reinvesting in the product mm-hmm. through labor. So it's it's not necessarily the best business if you want to have you know a, a, a lavish lifestyle from the day you find you know crazy <laughs> you sell it. Uh, well, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I mean, building ticker is. We're in um, year two and a half here live, and it's been a very much bootstrapped strategy, and we're starting to turn that corner. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's been work, <laughs> you right. can say, but exciting yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, you, you're right. There's other businesses like a service business 
or maybe like a SaaS mixed with like a consulting service where you can get off the ground running with a few clients and you can start making some decent money. Exponential growth won't be as fast, but you can still, you know, get to some serious free cash flow. Yeah, I think it really depends on what your goals and objectives are. If you want to, you know, make a nice living and hopefully send your kids to college and you can pay for it on their behalf and maybe you'll get a chance to have a second home or retire comfortably. You know, you could do that with a lot of different business models. But if you want to have a, you know, a $10 million net worth, like the clients that we work with, you probably have to build something substantial and meaningful. Right, right. No, this is good to know. Um, is Before we jump to the rapid fire round, is there one like major key takeaway our investor and entrepreneur audience could use today? One key takeaway, uh, I, I, you know, I talked about taxes at the top. That's kind of how we got started. Yeah. And I would say to look at the math, you know, run the numbers and say, what what is the difference in my wealth if I were to compound tax-free five times from $1 in a tax-free environment, I go one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, 15 to 32. Now that's in a tax-free environment. If instead I had just a 25% tax and I doubled my money from $1 to $1.75 because the government came and took that quarter of my profits. Then I doubled it again to $350, but the government came and took a quarter of my profits. If I do that five times, I'm only left with $16. And so what many investors don't realize is that taxes are eroding their ability to generate wealth far beyond the 20, 25% taxes that you're paying for long-term cap gains rates. So pay attention and figure out how to leverage the tax code to make your investments non-taxable by using retirement plans, by using insurance, by using creative structuring to put you in a better position. Right. Great advice. And and what I'd like to do is just uh, follow up with that for our audience here. So if you're building a business, you know, you want to keep your taxes in mind, depending where you're at. Maybe maybe you want to start a business, go through um, your business here, Noah, and and get something established in Puerto Rico. You know, that's a great foundation. But then on the investment side, because we invest in a lot of publicly traded companies, you know, going through the stock markets. You know, a lot of people are thinking about selling. They're always thinking about selling and selling as much as buying. Whereas we like to use the the phrase that Motley Fool uses, which is we need to be net buyers. We're buying a lot more than selling. If you're selling, you got to be thinking about, okay, I'm going to pay some kind of taxes on that event. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's transition to the rapid fire round. This is the part of the episode where we get to find out who Noah really is. If you can, try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite podcast? This one. Yeah, I would say uh, the one that I probably have listened to for the longest is Tim Ferriss' podcast. Uh, But the one I like most now is Alex Hormozzi's The Game. Okay. Yep. Somebody else has mentioned that too. Um, All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? A uh, recent book I've read, I try and read about a book a week. And uh, one that comes to mind that I'd recommend that I've read recently, hmm, uh, I would say The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey. That's a good one that a lot of people haven't read. It's an old book that's been around a while, but it's uh, Stephen Covey's son, Stephen Covey. Got it. All right. Movie question. What is your favorite movie? Big Fat Greek Wedding. Love it. Big, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, okay. Yes. 
Great movie. And that's that's a new one for the podcast. Nice. Yeah. All right. We got a few business questions here. What is the worst advice you ever received? My grandfather, when I decided to leave my father's CPA firm, was really telling me, you know, I should stay. I have certainty. I have, you know, a family business that has uh, consistency. And he really was encouraging me to stay. I'm glad I didn't listen. <laughs> nice. All right. Let's flip that equation here. What is the best advice you ever received? Uh Best advice, I guess, is from my father. He always said, you know, you got to, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And so I've tried to follow that motto. Yes, very motivating. All right. And last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? I'd probably go back to when I was uh, 24. I had just uh, closed up a startup that I had invested a million dollars into like a friends and family round. We were on the way to raising 2 million when, you know, I guess it was end of 99, we had that um, dot-com meltdown. And so we we couldn't raise money March of 2000, business had to close. And I decided to go back into my dad's accounting firm to become the COO and, and re-engineer all of his processes. And I think if I went back and said, you know, Noah, go buy a business. Uh, I think I probably would have had an even more fun and rewarding journey. The challenge is uh, I'm in such a great place without really having any you know, negative impact along the way that it's hard to say, go back and change a thing. But, it, but that's one thing that I think, had I done it sooner, I probably would have had a different career sure. trajectory. Sure, sure. Awesome backstory. All right. Where can the audience reach you? Uh, best place to find me is on LinkedIn or Facebook. LinkedIn's probably better. If we don't have a lot of friends in common on Facebook, I'm probably not going to accept your request. But LinkedIn, I, I'll update yes to everybody. And if you had some information that you wanted to share with us, if you go to talk to Noah, N-O-A-H, talk to Noah, you'll get a chance to uh, complete a little form and then get on a call with our team. Awesome. All right, Noah, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see ya. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts you could be listening to, so thanks for spending some time with me. Also, if you have a moment, could you please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? The more reviews we get, the more Apple will share this podcast with the world. So thanks for doing that. And last thing, if you do hear any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not make a buy or sell decision based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later. See ya. See ya.